Um, so it is, uh, it's, it's summer. You know, is it, is it officially summer? Does anybody know? No. no? Well, it is summer. We're going to call it summer because we're, we're starting a, our new summer series. We're starting a new series today. Um, Taylor's with us, and he was to come in the summer. And so, uh, so Taylor's with us today. Um, it's, it, we had our first 148-degree day last week. Um, the uh, kids are playing in fire hydrants, and the ice cream trucks are all over the place selling ice cream and whatever else they sell. I mean, we all know this. Um, but uh, we are starting this series. It's gonna, we're we're going to kind of continue the series throughout the summer in Acts, um, mixed with some other folks getting up here. And you're going to hear some, some fresh voices this summer as well. And uh, so we're, let's just dive in. Um, why don't I pray? If you turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, we're going to start in chapter 1, verse 1. And uh, start working through it. Uh, nothing really fancy, just the Bible today. Um, so let's just pray and ask God to, to speak to us this morning. God, we do ask that you speak to us. We ask that you uh, take my words and, and do something in my heart and in the hearts of, of everyone here listening. And uh, that you convict us, uh, draw us to a greater understanding of uh, the gospel, of, of who Jesus is in our lives. Uh, the transformative work that he is doing in and through us as a community. And uh, we do ask that you encourage us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to walk through the first 14 verses this morning. Verse 1, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. So this is written by, by Luke to a guy named Theophilus. And uh, this is Luke's second volume to Theophilus. We, we don't know exactly who Theophilus is. Uh, we do know that he was probably a Greek, probably wealthy, because he's most likely funding Luke in this process of writing these, this two-part two uh, series. And, uh, and Theophilus wants to know who Jesus is. He wants to know uh, what the church is. He's, uh, he's probably some guy who's very well might be a, a, a higher up in the Roman Empire, could be a judge or so, someone in the, in the court system, uh, possibly even working with Paul who might be in prison at the time. And, and he wants to know what's going on. He want, he's, he's seeing this Jesus movement springing up all around him. It's crazy like... Uh, it's, it's this viral movement, and he, and he wants to know. So, uh, so he's given Luke this great challenge of, of writing a report of, of who Jesus, Jesus was, which was Luke's, I guess you could say, the first part in the series. And then the second part was, uh, was the development of this, this church after Jesus' resurrection. What happened after, or maybe in his eyes, after Jesus died? We put him to death. And it's still going on. So can you explain that to me as well? And so his first, the first part, uh, the, the former book that he wrote, in his words, uh, was, was what? It's a trick question. Luke, right? <laughs> the Gospel of Luke. And, and it, the lead character in the Gospel of Luke is who? Jesus, right. It's all about Jesus. And, and if you read Luke, I mean, it's just packed with Jesus' teachings. A lot of red letters, if you have a red letter Bible. Um, and, uh, and so, first, first part is, is, is about this, the life and the ministry and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And now, as he starts the second book to Theophilus, the, the, uh, the, lead, the, the main character in this book is who? The church? The Holy Spirit, exactly. The main character we're going to discover in the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit. And uh, I, I was, I've been reading the book of Acts for like the last couple months. And I'll tell you just really quick, just why, what, what really sparked, sparked the desire in me to, to get into Acts. Um, among, a bunch of things, actually. One is, like, we're developing as a church. And so it's very important for us to constantly go back and remind ourselves of who we are, what our roots are, etc. On a practical level, though, I was I was having a hike with a good friend of mine, and um, he was like he was like you know we don't talk about the Holy Spirit very much. And why is it? And I, and I was I didn't have an answer. I'm like I don't know. Like uh, I'm talking about Jesus a lot. Um, and 
And so it just, it drove me to look at Acts. And so I've been reading through Acts, just kind of like over and over, just being immersed in, in Acts. And I've been reading a couple other books about the Holy Spirit and just some different things. And what I'm seeing all throughout the book of Acts, and I, we're, we're going to just really probably this summer be able to get into the first six or seven chapters. But um, what I'm seeing is that there is this sort of unseen foundation, this unseen character throughout the entire, the entire book of Acts. Um, and that's the Holy Spirit. And I don't want to get into it too much right now uh, because I think you're just going to, you're going to see it as we go. Um, all right, let's read verse 2. Until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, a little side note here, and again, I'm not going to take too much time here, but this is like really huge, uh, a huge apologetic, if you would, for the resurrection of Christ. Uh, this is, this is a, probably a, most likely a legal document. Um, it's very possible that these, these people he's talking about would be cross-checked and, and spoken with. Jesus, he's saying, rose from the dead, gave many convincing proofs, appeared to all these, all these different people. We're going to see this again later in Acts. Uh, it, it's impossible that it was some sort of metaphorical vision or an idea or a hoax. Like something happened and Rome put Jesus to death and he did not stay dead. And he, he, he rose from the dead. Verse 5. Um, or verse, verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Now, he just gave them the great commission, right? Go into all the world and preach the gospel, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He just sent them out with like the biggest, greatest commission of all to just saturate the entire world with the gospel. This massive, like, get off your butts and get going, do something about what, what we've just been doing for the last three years and what you just experienced in my death and resurrection. Do something about it. Go and be my witnesses. He's passing the baton on to them. I mean, this is huge. Think about it. This is huge for them. But after he, after he says it, go into all the world, preach the gospel. Then he says, but wait, 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 not yet. You're not ready to go yet. You don't, you don't yet have what it takes. And I was, I was kind of thinking about this as I was listening, listening to Pavarotti a couple days ago. You guys like Pavarotti, any, anyone? I love his uh, Nusin Dorma, or Nessun Dorma, I guess it's called. Um, who, who can sing Nessun Dorma for us this morning? <laughs> Nessun Dorma, something like that. Um, what if Pavarotti came back from the dead. Let's just be like really out there and like terrible analogy, I know. Let's just say, let's just say Pavarotti is a type of Christ. Pavarotti comes back from the dead and he, and he looks at you and he says, I want you to, uh, to, to, to sing Nessun Dorma all over the world, just like, I, just like I have sung it in my life. I want you to go to um, the, the Meyerhoff and, uh, and the, rest, the rest of the world and I want you to sing Nessun Dorma with power. And I want people to be awed, you know, just like they were awed with me. And, uh, and then he said, but wait. Because by the way, you can't sing. All right, you can't sing like Pavarotti. Um, and I'm not saying you can't sing, but you probably can't sing like Pavarotti, seriously. If, if anybody can, I challenge you, stand up right now and sing Nessun Dorma. Um, or anything. Happy birthday. <laughs> twinkle, twinkle. Um, and, and he says, but wait, because you, you don't yet have what it takes. You would say, you're right, I don't. And I'm not doing any, I'm not walking onto the stage at the Meyerhof yet um, until something happens here. Because I don't have your voice. I can't, I can't, it's absolutely, it would be absolutely impossible for you to go all over the world and sing like Pavarotti. Unless Pavarotti somehow was able to give you the gift of his voice, was able to somehow just grant this, like baptize you in his talent, in his power. 
And in a really weird way, like that's what's happening here. That's kind of the picture of, of what, what, what's, what's going on. Jesus is the, the son of God. God incarnate in the flesh has come. He's lived this perfect life. He's died. He's risen from the dead. And now he's looking at his disciples and he's saying, now I want you to go and do what I did. I want you to be my witnesses. I'm passing the baton on to you. It's now your turn to continue this movement of what's, what's, what's been started here. And, and you're taking this like deep breath and swallowing hard. And then he says, but wait, wait, don't go yet because you don't yet have what it takes. You don't have what it takes to be my witnesses. You can't do it. But, but, but we, we try sometimes, don't we? Like we try in our own power to... I don't know, live out the fruit of the Spirit. We might read about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, etc., long-suffering. And, and we try really hard to be a joyful person. We try really hard to be a patient, long-suffering person. We try really hard to love and to forgive, and, and we can't. We, and we try harder and harder, and it's just like, I don't have it in me. I'm just not a joyful person. I don't, ha I don't have it in me. But we just, we just keep on trying, and, and we're trying in, in our own power. We try, we, you, you might have a friend who's, who's uh, recently opened up to you and, and, and been just talking about his disbelief in, in God. And, and you've been trying to, to witness to him, and your voice has been getting very pitchy, and you've been getting irritated and, and uh, um, almost... I don't know, this, this kind of angst is building up and, and you're talking to them and, and you're getting angry with them and you're getting defensive with them. And it's because you're trying in, in your own power. Like you're trying, you don't, you don't have the voice. You don't have what it takes maybe. And you're, you're literally trying to, to change your own life or you're trying to change someone else's life in your own power. And it's not working very well for you, is it? I mean, think, think about it. The... The church here um, was, I don't know, maybe 120 people. We don't know the exact number. Some people think it was around 120. But about 120 folks right now in this, in this church as a whole. In the church, capital C, church. And they've been given this great commission to go out into all the world to spread the gospel. And they're about to do that. And the, the world is about to close down around them and, and attempt to crush them. Um, in many cities, they, they, it, it, it will seem as if they're being squashed and that it's impossible to go forward. Now, how many movements have begun where the leader gets something going, there's a movement started, there's some people around it, and then something happens to the leader and it just fizzles out. Happens all the time. They, the, the church at this point is up against... Uh, insur insurmountable, insurmountable odds. Um, and it is literally impossible for them to, to go forward to the ends of the earth and preach the gospel. Not when what, what we're going to see happen is about to happen to them. What, as the world comes down and closes down around them and their leaders start getting cut. It's going to be impossible for them. But there, there is a reason. And we're calling this series The Unstoppable Church. There is a reason that the church in Acts and the church today is unstoppable. It's not because of chance. Um, it's, it's not just some, some wild, crazy thing that happened 2,000 years ago and a bunch of people were duped into believing it. There's a reason why it's unstoppable. And that's what we're going to be looking at here in Acts. Luke 24, Jesus said, you are my witnesses of these things, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Look at verse 5. Uh, for John, he says, he says, stay in the city here. For John, verse 5, baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now this word baptized is, is a word for immersion. So the picture he's drawing is, is John baptized in water. John immersed in water. And you will soon stay here in Jerusalem because you will be immersed 
in the, in the very spirit of God. You will be immersed in the very life of God. And so this picture then of bapti baptism, like we, we baptized some folks two weeks ago. And it is nothing more than this symbol, than this picture of this deeper, more beautiful, more real baptism which takes place, which is about to take place for these believers as they are immersed in the transforming life of God, as they are immersed in the Holy Spirit. Um, if, if we could place ourselves back, I think. If we could, you know, I mean, the, the idea for some of, so many of us who have been around church or maybe have grown up in church, we hear the Holy Spirit, we, talk, we hear people talk about being filled with the Spirit or whatever, whatever. And, uh, and so it's kind of a common thing, a common idea for us. If we could sort of track back to this period right here, when it was not something they talked about, having the very Spirit of God dwell within them and give them power was not even on their radar. What a gift this is. I mean, this is Pavarotti giving you his voice. You know, this, is, this is God, the creator of this world, giving you his very spirit, his essence. Verse 6. So, when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. It is not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority. Now, can we sidetrack for just a quick sec here? Would you allow me? Um, in 1844, a guy named William Miller predicted that Christ would return that year. In 1844. We're still here. 1914, 1918, 1925, and 1942. All years that Christ was predicted to return by various people. Chuck Smith predicted his return by 1981. And I was born that year. Um, and so we're still here. 88 Reasons Why the Rapture is in 1988 by Edgar Wisnant. 1992, 1994, 1995, all years predicted that Christ would return. And then, of course, you've got good old Harold Camping. Uh, May 21st, 2011, um, family radio. And, uh, and that date, since, since Christ didn't return on May 21st, 2011, um, there's been some like tweaking happening here and like, wait a second, uh, something's not right, okay. And uh, so now it's, it was some sort of metaphorical thing that took place, judgment, and now October 21st, 2011, will be the, the final end. Um, and so, uh, <laughs> anyway, and December 21st, 2012 is Mayan calendar, the end of the Mayan calendar. Um, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. Jesus himself said it. It's not for you to know that. It's a distracting question. Jesus is telling them something huge here. You're about to have the Holy Spirit, and they're like, but what about the end? Like, when, when's, when's the king? Is it time to restore? He's like, it's not for you to know that. Like, let's, let's stick with the main point here. Mark 13, 32, 32. Jesus said this. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son nor the Father. Do you get that? Nor the Son, nor the Father. Jesus is saying, I don't even know. That's information reserved for the Father. Now, that blows your mind because three in one, and, and there's some things about God that we're not even going to try to explain and describe and understand. We just accept it. But Jesus himself here, and Mark says, look, I don't even, that's a question I don't even know the answer to. And here we are always trying to figure out when is the end going to be? When's the end going to be? And some people like really get freaked out about it. I remember when I, in, uh, I don't remember which one of these dates it was. I don't think it was 88. I would have been too young. It might have been 92. Um, I remember when I, was a, when I was a kid that the rapture was going to come and I was like really freaked out, like scared to death. It was fall. I, I think it was the, 90, the 92 one because I believe that was October. 
I just remember it was fall, it was like eerie and gray outside, and I was like, the end of the world is upon us. And I was like, I remember telling my parents, like, we've got to get a gospel track to my uncle. <laughs> like, maybe, Dad, can you get on the phone and talk to him? And, uh, and I was really freaked out. And, and I really, you know, I wish Jesus, I wish I was with Jesus at, at that moment physically, and I was with Jesus, but I don't think I realized it. I wish Jesus was physically there with me so he could look at me and say, it's, it's not for you to know the time. Like, don't get so freaked out. Like, we, we, we look at things and we, we make things up and, and it's, like, fun. And I would even go so far as to say this. And I really, I don't want to, like, step on toes and I don't want to offend anybody and stuff. So just, we can talk about this later. But I would go so far as to say this. I wouldn't listen to anybody who comes along saying soon and very soon within the next couple years, it's guaranteed the end of the world's gonna come. Like we're not gonna live 100, 100 more years. It's, it's, it's coming, look around. Like people that study current events um, just so they can make apocalyptic guess, guess, play an apocalyptic guessing game, you could say. Oh yeah, look, look at what's going on. Like it's, it's upon us, it's upon us. I, I served under a pastor some, some years ago and like every other message was end of the world, rapture, it's coming like within the next 10 years, 20 years, and convinced that it's, it's, it's upon us right now. Now, let me say this, Christ is coming back and we're gonna see that here in just a few verses. Christ is coming back. We long for his return, and I, I would love for Christ to come back right now. Um, soon and very soon is, is my heart's desire. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. But as soon as we start playing games, apocalyptic games, and we start questioning things and start touting and beyond pulpits and over dinner, start saying, it's coming like now, it's, almost, it's flirting with idolatry because you're, 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 you're proposing to know something that Jesus himself said I know nothing about. Uh, but you do. Uh, sorry. <laughs> Beyond me, I guess. Um, anyway. The, the word that we've used to describe this is imminent, which I think is a good word. Um, we, we are to watch. We are to be ready. Watch in the sense of not, not guess, but just be ready. We're to be ready for his return. Um, it's imminent in that it could happen at any time. And it's been imminent for 2,000 years, and it could be imminent for another 2,000 years. And I was, I was actually talking with a uh, Christian friend of mine who uh, I, I was, we were just talking about other things and, and uh, just the way we're treating the environment and some different things. And I was like, you know, in 2,000 years, if, if this is the way things continue, like this is what things might look like in 2,000. And you, was, you should have seen their face. They were like appalled that I even brought up the idea of 2,000 years from now. Like, that's not going to be. Like, we're not going to be around in 2,000 years. Are you kidding me? Like, haven't you read the Bible? Anyway, have I made that clear? I just wanted to, I, I mean, seriously, it's, it's a side note, but... It, I mean, as a shepherd, and I know a lot of you guys, this is like, it's not something that, you're not like all hung up on October 21st and you're not going around handing out pamphlets and stuff. Um, but I do feel like as a, as a, as a pastor, like I, I think it's something that we just need to talk about and, and look at and, and see if there's any biblical credibility to what, what we hear sometimes. Um, and, and, and here's the biggest thing, and this is why I feel like it is, it is important to bring up, and you, some of you may disagree, and we can we can chat later. But um, I feel like it's important to bring up simply because I I, I feel like I think it, we can miss the point. We can miss the greater point of what's happening here, the greater point of what the gospel is all about, um, because we can get so sidetracked sidetracked on other things. And I feel like here in Acts, Jesus brings them back to the bigger point after they ask the question. So they ask the question. Jesus says um, in, in verse 7, it's not for you to know the times and the dates the Father has set by his own authority. And then he says in verse 8, but you will receive power. So he's going back to, back to what he was getting at here. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
In our context, he's saying, you, you will be my witnesses. The Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Baltimore, in Maryland, in the United States, and to the ends of the earth. And when we think of like the power of the Holy Spirit, um, our mind can go in a lot of different directions. Like, I, just, just think of it right now, the power of the Holy Spirit. What kind of images come to your mind? Anybody want to share? All right, laying on of hands. Yep. Anything else? Dove. A dove. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, and we we can kind of go in a lot of different directions, and we're going to be discussing over Acts. We're going to be discussing a lot of these different attributes of the Holy Spirit's power. Uh, some of you might be afraid of this kind of talk. You're like, whoa, been there, done that. Not going to start going to the power of the Holy Spirit kind of talk because that's a little freaky, goofy, kind of weird stuff. Um, some of you might long for it. You're like, you know, I don't know what it, what it, what it really is. I don't know if, I, if what I've seen is really the power of the Holy Spirit, but I, I long for it. Like, I, I, want, I want God's power in my life. I want this Holy Spirit kind of supernatural power manifesting itself in my life. Um, some of you might... Uh, automatically think of like um, things that we would associate with like charismatic movements such as like tongues speak, uh, swinging on chandeliers uh, rolling on floors and um, knocking people out you know um, which John uh, John and I do once in a while and uh, I mean we can kind of think a lot of a lot of different avenues our minds can take when we start thinking of the power of the Holy Spirit and we'll, we'll discuss all of that. But I want to focus on right here. This is where Jesus zooms it in, I think. And this is like when we talk about the power of the Holy Spirit at its core, at its foundation, the most important piece of the power of the Holy Spirit is right here in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Here's the power. When the Holy Spirit comes, you'll receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When we think of the power of the Holy Spirit, our mind has first got to drop right here that we ha have the power to be the witnesses of Jesus Christ in the whole world. That's it. That, I mean, that is it in a nutshell. That's, that's at the core. That's what it all hinges on is we have the power now to be witnesses of Jesus in Baltimore, in Maryland, in the United States, and in the rest of the world. We have, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and as we go through Acts, we're going to be seeing how the Spirit moves in people's life to give them the ability to sing, if you would, through life and heart transformation. That is the, the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, through even the ability to live out the fruit of the Holy Spirit, joy, peace, all, all of these things. Uh, the ability to, um, uh, to, to have spiritual gifts that minister to one another and to the world around us. And at the core, the ability to speak. When you open your mouth, the words that you're saying are no longer just your words, but God is doing something with those words and he's piercing the heart of the listeners. And if the Holy Spirit works just right this morning, you might even experience a little bit of that as I speak, as, as God takes my very feeble words, which we've talked about in the past, takes my words and actually does, the Spirit does something in your heart. The power of the Holy Spirit. I was having dinner with uh, some friends about a year or two ago. And uh, after dinner, whoops, spilled some coffee. Excuse me. After dinner, um, we were having dessert together and, and hanging out. And uh, one of them, it was a couple, and one of them asked us, um, and they're not, they're not Christians, by the way. They're, I would say they're hardcore agnostics. I don't know if that's an oxymoron, <laughs> but uh, they're very agnostic. They very much so believe agnosticism. And, um, and, but the question was, um, and it was like in a really awkward kind of way. Uh, she said, are you going to try to convert us? 
And like, I couldn't help but laughing. Because I was thinking, like, that is such a great question to ask a pastor who's trying to be your friend. Like, if I was not a Christian and a pastor tried to be my friend, first question I would ask him is, like, are you going to try to convert me? <laughs> like, what's going on here? And, um, and so I, I literally, like, LOL'd. And uh, because, because of the honesty of it. And I, I thought it was a great question. And, and so I just blurted out, I was like, I was like, of course I'm not going to try to convert you. Would I love you to follow Christ? Of course I would, because I follow Christ, and I think I, Christ has transformed my life. I said, but, I said, if you are ever converted, whatever that means, if you're ever converted, um, it's not going to be me who's converted you. It'll be, the, it'll be because God converted you. And my extremely progressive, agnostic, extremely liberal friend looked at me and smiled. She was like, I like that. It's good. I, I can deal with it. And see, here's, this is the beauty of what's, what we're reading here. Is that it is not our job to convert people. It's not our job to convert. It's not our job to change people's lives, to, tra to bring about transformation in people. It's not our job to even change our own life. It's, we are absolutely, in the gospel, we are absolutely freed. From, we're, we're freed. We don't have the weight of this guilt upon us because we're not converting people. It's not our job. Charles Spurgeon said this, who I quote probably more than anybody other than Jesus. Um, if any person thinks that a minister can convert the soul, I wish they would try. Let them go and become a Sunday school teacher. And this is written back in the 1850s or so. Let them go and become a Sunday school teacher. They will take their class. They will have the best books they, that can be obtained. They will have the best rules. They will draw their lines of defenses around their fortified spiritual city. They will take the best child in their class. And if they are not tired in a week, I will be very much surprised. Let them spend four or five Sundays in trying. And in the end, they will say, the young person is in, incorrigible. Let them try another. And they will have to try another and another and another, before they will manage to convert one. They will soon find it is not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Here's the good news. It is not our job to convert, to do the work. That's not on us. What we're, we're going to discover in Acts is, is that the gospel was never shoved down anyone's throat. No one was ever coerced into saying a prayer. No one was ever out of, out of fear. The ground's going to open up and swallow you right now if you don't accept Jesus. No, nobody was ever coerced in any way. What we're going to see in the gospel is that the church, the people, were brought to those who God is already working in and in some fashion, through random connections, a prayer here or, or there, some fashion, God connected the believers with those God was already working in, and the believers were simply used as vessels of service for God uh, in, in changing lives. Now when I say it's not your job, it's not, it's not your work, it's not your work, but God still uses you in the, in the work. Th and this is the beauty of it. Is, and we could even take this, this cup, for instance. Um, the cup in, in, in no way uh, quenches my thirst. However, the cup becomes a vessel to quench my thirst, right? I can use the, the cup to do the work that I need it to do. And so I fill it up with coffee and I drink it. The cup isn't doing it, right? The cup is doing nothing. The cup is useless, really. And if you had a bunch of cups lined up, and uh, you told these cups that you're going to quench my thirst in their own power, that would be pretty goofy, you know? It would be kind of strange. Um, and so in, what we're going to see is that, is that we are these vessels. We are these cups. We are these tools that God uses to do an unbelievable, impossible work, and that is to change a life, including your own. Um, five, or, five or six years ago, I was a uh, youth pastor. 
And um, uh, actually, five to eight years ago. Man, we're getting old. And um, uh, I, was, I was a youth pastor. And we, we I, I don't think I really, well, let me, let me, let me just tell a story. We, uh, we wanted to work really hard to create, like, a great youth ministry. And we were in, we were living on the Eastern Shore, working with the church over there. Um, and there was just not much going on. <laughs> I mean, have you been to the Eastern Shore? There's not much. Amanda, can you testify? Give me an amen, please. There's not much going on on the Eastern Shore. And so we wanted to make something happen. We wanted there to be some excitement in this little town. And so we worked very hard to create, like, a great youth ministry. And we rented out a fire hall. And we had uh, great music and... Um, uh, speaking, we different people come up and speak, and we try to teach on like re really relevant issues and like sex and dating and like really provocative kind of stuff. And and we grew from like 15 to sometimes we had as many as 80 uh, on a on a Wednesday night, just packed out the fire hall there, and uh, it was like a really exciting time. And, and I don't want to say like things are never all good or all bad. You know what I mean? Like sometimes we can sort of look back on something and just kind of lump it all together and say it was either all good or it was all bad. And so I don't want to say that this was all good or all bad. There was a lot of good happening, a lot of spiritual movement happening. But the reality is, is what I felt and what I saw in a very large way, um, I would say, uh, I would say it this way. I didn't see the kind of spiritual life transfer transformation that I wanted to see. There was a lot of kids packing into this fire hall, a lot of excitement, but there was a whole lot of craziness. <laughs> a lot of, lot of craziness. Oh, man, like, if you guys were it right now, Amanda and Jess, you can like, Amanda was part of it. She was the craziest. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> but it was just like, like constantly just this craziness and I'd be up there speaking and it would just be crazy how many times can I say crazy it was crazy like for instance after one of the uh, what I thought was like one of the best jobs we could possibly do on our own effort um, there was afterwards there was a fight between the rednecks and the black kids and we had we had like this really kind of cool thing going on in that like we were pretty diverse for a while um, which was pretty amazing for the Eastern Shore where there's a lot of division between um, the races. It's, it's almost like you, when I first moved there, I was like, what in the world? Like, is it 1955? <laughs> like, it's Martin Luther King around? Like, th this, is, this is intense. What's going on? I've never experienced it. And, uh, and so we had like this group of rednecks and they were like red, like they literally had rednecks. <laughs> they wore baseball caps and camouflage and um, they drove big trucks, and I swear I think they took the exhaust pipes off because they were loud. Um, and they all they, they would like walk into the fire hall with like chewing tobacco. This, you know, like they were redneck. And then we also had like these young African American, mainly guys that were that were part of us at the time. And so afterward, like I, I swear I thought it was about the best we could possibly do. And I thought, you know, if Jesus is going to move, he's going to he's going to move right now. <laughs> And uh, so afterward, man, um, it blew up. And uh, black kids are walking across the street, rednecks are in their truck, rev the engine. And it just, like, all hell broke loose. And it was, it was bad. Amanda, do you remember that? It was craziness. It was, uh, and then I've got, like, a girl, not Amanda, another girl making out with some guy, like, during the speaking time. Like, they sneak outside the fire hall. And they're making out, and I'm just like, I got, I got parents calling me, and the, it was, there were so many parents coming through to pick up their kids, and the police like, would talk to me all the time, like, you gotta, you gotta figure something out here. So we had this crazy walkie-talkie. Anyway, all I'm saying is this. It wasn't until I literally burned out. I, I completely broke down. I had a physical and emotional, and I would say spiritual breakdown. That I, that I realized how much I'm trying to do in my own effort. How much we as a team, as a youth ministry team, are trying to do on our own effort. Trying to change lives. 
trying to move in kids' lives, trying to, trying to do something that's, that's supernatural on our own effort. And it hit me like, I can't go on anymore. And, and Jesus, I think, was like, yeah, you can't. You can't. You can't keep doing this. You're, you're burning yourself out. Um, we, we, can, we can try to uh, put on great programs, um, do some things that are unique and provocative, but we can't do the supernatural. Like, there, there was some really cool things happening in the fire hall, but, but I don't feel like there was supernatural, the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit was moving through and changing lives. And when I say supernatural, I don't mean like swinging on chandeliers necessarily or um, like, every, like all 80 kids are speaking in tongues at the same time. Like, ah, what's going on? <laughs> you know, like what I mean by supernatural is a, a redneck and a young African-American coming together and saying, you know what? I like country music. I like hip hop. <laughs> And we are going to love each other. We're going to put this stupid stuff, we're going to put it aside and we're going to love. Like that's supernatural. That doesn't happen unless the spirit moves in some really phenomenal way. Or a girl who was previously making out outside and just using her body to attract attention begins to respect her sexuality and respect her body and take control and, and guys start treating pretty girls like, like they're sisters. I'll, I'll love you, but I'm not going to touch you. Like that's supernatural. That doesn't happen. Only when the spirit moves in, in these dynamic ways can we begin to see supernatural work begin to take place in and through our lives. We can build impressive churches. You know, we could, we could have... Um, we could find the greatest space and we could have a preacher who's as funny as Dave Chappelle and as smart as, I don't know, Stephen Hawking. And I got the Dave Chappelle part probably, you know. I'm just kidding. See, so you didn't even laugh. I don't even try to be funny anymore, you know. <laughs> um, we could have Alicia Keys leading worship. John, <laughs> what? John, John just woke up. <laughs> Alicia Keys worship on my worship team? We could. You know, it could be like, we could have the best sound and lighting there is. And we could do something, we could build something and have a lot of people and, and sustain it for years. Keep things exciting. We could bring Corvettes up on stage and <laughs> maybe like Oprah give away a Corvette or two. You know? You do some like really phenomenal stuff. But we can't, we can't do what the Holy Spirit does. We, we could do that, and, and here's the thing, churches, and that's not an indictment against churches that do are flashy and do like big stuff at all. But churches do um, and, and are able to create these beautiful, amazing events. It's a, a, a great quote-unquote church and do it completely on the power of man. Completely devoid of the Holy Spirit. Devoid of supernatural movement. And people can come and they can be excited and they can have tears come from their eyes and they can laugh and they can go home inspired and motivated to live a better life and they can't do it because there's no Holy Spirit flowing through the church. Because every, everything is, is on our own power. And here's where I'm at right now is honestly, I just don't want to be like that. You know, I, wanna, I don't want to build anything on my own power, on your power, because of your talents, your personalities. I want, I want to be like the church here in Acts and be waiting in Jerusalem looking for something to happen because we know that we cannot go on unless the Holy Spirit powerfully moves in and through us. So wait here. 
wait here, uh, he says, until you are, are immersed in the life of God, until you are immersed in the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't try to build something yet. Don't try to live out the fruit of the Holy Spirit when you don't have the Holy Spirit moving through you. Don't try to be joyful. Don't try to be patient. Don't try to be long-suffering. Because you can't. You, you, don't, you don't have it in you yet. Don't try to forgive. Don't try to love. Don't try to convert or change lives. Because you can't. You, you, there's nothing in you that can cause someone to, to, change, to change their life. Now, after he said this, it says that he lifted up and they couldn't see him anymore. And they're just, I mean, just imagine what just happened. And they're all standing there, this, this, this Jesus that they have been following and loving and they've seen him rise from the dead. Like, I can't imagine the kind of excitement and joy and love uh, that's overflowing from their lives towards Christ. And then he leaves them. And they're just standing, probably with tears in their eyes. And two, two men appear and say, don't, don't worry. Because he will return just the, sa the same way, the same way you saw him go. Now look what they do in, in verse 12. After that, then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives. A Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In the beginning, if, the, if this was like a movie we were watching maybe, in the beginning of this scene is this exciting, explosive resurrection and great commission and the Holy Spirit's going to come, it, it, loud and, and abrupt and exciting. And then at the, as the scene closes out here, as the, as the lights dim, what, where we're left is the, the church together on their knees quietly every day constantly praying waiting is, is there someone here who's been trying to live out the fruit of the spirit you've been trying to be joyful patient long suffering And, and frankly, you're, you're tired of trying. You're tired of failing. And it's possible that you have in some way been stifling the Spirit of God that lives within you. Is, is there someone here who, who has been witnessing to a friend? And, and as you've been doing it, your voice is getting pitchy and you're getting irritated and frustrated and you're starting to argue too much and you're not really like witnessing very well? Is it possible that you're doing it in your own power and that the power of Christ, the Holy Spirit, God's very life is not flowing through you? Is there someone here who, as you think about it, you've never had the experience of being baptized in the Holy Spirit? And we're going to talk more what that means. But without theologizing too much, you've never felt the life of God transforming your heart. You've never experienced that. You've never experienced something beyond yourself and given power to do something you were never able to do. If, if you answer, and to kind of put it this weird, kind of goofy way, if you answer yes to any of those questions, <laughs> then this series is for you. <laughs> Seriously. Um, we are going to be exploring those questions throughout Acts and what it means to be the church that is unstoppable. 
However, the, un, the, the church became unstoppable in Acts because they began as utterly dependent. A completely dependent church. Well aware of the fact that, that they have nothing in them, in and of themselves, to, to do anything good. And there they are, praying. I, I feel like it would almost be um, hypocritical for us to end here and not spend some time in prayer together. Is anybody tracking with me there? Um, I want to do this. And I don't want to put a time limit on it right now. I want to just turn into like like if you could, there's about four rows, if every two rows, if you could make a little circle with your chairs. And you might not uh, want to pray, and that's fine. Um, if, you, if you feel led to pray, I want you to sort of lead your circle in some prayer and, uh, and allow, allow others to pray. And let me say this, this isn't a time for us to, to take prayer requests. It's not a time to pray for our ills. It's not a time um, to pray for upcoming decisions. All of, all, things, uh, all of those things are worthy of praying for. But what I want to pray for this morning is, is that God's Spirit would truly just come down upon us and move through us and give us the power behind our words when we speak to people that we won't just be speaking words but we'll be speaking in His power. That, that people who, who, are, who we are serving, who we're ministering to, your neighbors, your coworkers, people that we meet at block parties and other things that we do, that as we're meeting them and as we're interacting with them, that God will begin to work in their hearts and do what we cannot do. And that God will begin to stir in them. That the Holy Spirit will begin to, to draw them to start playing on, on their, their heart strings, if you would. And that God would begin connecting us with these, these folks and using us in a powerful way and, and, and allow the Holy Spirit to pour through us just like coffee can pour through this, this vessel. That, that uh, Pray that he would awaken us to our own spiritual gifts. Ways that we should, and, and should be ministering to one another and to the world around us. As, as a church, that he would immerse us in his power. And that we would be completely, utterly reliant on him alone. Can we do that? Would you, are you guys with me on that? Can we pray?